Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Amen. We're talking about spiritual warfare, a very important subject to all of us. And this is lesson three, spiritual warfare, because whether we realize it or not, we're engaged in an unseen spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to pick up our study and read these verses that the apostle Paul shared with us by the Holy Ghost. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Notice the word war there. For the weapons, did you come yielding a weapon tonight? Of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Goes on to say, and having in a readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Last week we discussed being clothed with the armor of God. And the importance of understanding what those mean. The armor of God. Tonight, we want to focus our attention on coming up with a game plan that will help us succeed when we're attacked by the enemy. You should have noticed Paul's words, first of all, in those scriptures. Notice he talked about war. He talked about warfare. He talked about weapons. He talked about strongholds. He talked about casting down or demolishing and all these terms identify what and define what we are engaged in an unseen spiritual warfare and the sad part about it is many people of the world don't even know it they have no clue whatsoever that they're engaged in a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare well as he describes this warfare basically what he is saying is I want to usher you into the battlefield where you can be right there on the field. You can smell the smoke. You can hear the noise, the gunshots, etc. Or back in the day, the fiery darts or the arrows that were on fire on one end. It's, you're right there, right in the midst of the battle. But you know what? He defines the battlefield for us. And what is the battlefield? It's the mind. It's the mind. He's basically telling us we have to cast down imaginations. And it's almost as if our mind is like a fortress or a castle that's under siege. We've got all these fiery darts, all these fiery missiles coming our way. These thoughts that come from the enemy designed to do what? Affect our thinking. See, it's a battle that's raging in the life of every individual person. No one escapes it. No one's left out. It's a battle between the ears. Every one of us fights that same battle. As a matter of fact, we all live within our own mental world, don't we? I don't know what you're thinking right now. You don't know what I'm thinking right now. Maybe a little bit because I'm expressing some of it. But you don't know what's going on in another person's mind. The enemy wants to inject and insert thoughts that come from his kingdom of darkness to do what? Attack our minds. Why is he so interested you know why? Because you see, he wants to make us all prisoners. And he wants to set up his camp, his spiritual fortress, his spiritual headquarters in the stronghold of our minds. Because he knows if I can just get in between those ears, I can control that, that person's life. You think about it. Where did he start with Eve? In the garden. Hath God really said that? He knows better than that. And he inserts or injects a thought in her mind that she begins to dwell on. And what was the end result? She became a prisoner, captive, fell, opened up the door to everything that's evil in this world. All because she refused to take that thought captive and cast it down. 
Now, in football, everyone at least should know if, if you're a fan of football, if you're a coach in football, that the line of scrimmage is important to success. You can have the best quarterback in the world, but if there's no line to protect or to defend him, and he has no time to pass because 300-pound linemen are in his face all day long, he'll be ineffective. He won't be as effective as he could be had he had time to throw the ball. You can be the best running back in all the world, but if you don't have a line, if you can't control the line of scrimmage, and you've got all these linemen coming in and no one defending, no one blocking for you, I mean, you could be a great running back. The only one I really saw that was somewhat successful without a great offensive line was Barry Sanders. He was very elusive. Well, that's football. But what about the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in? What is the line of scrimmage? It's the mind. The enemy is interested in our mind, our way of thinking, because that's the line of scrimmage. And if he can control the mind, he can control our lives. I mean, go back and just think some of the others. You know, think about, for example, someone like Moses. He was trying to control Moses' thought life by saying, you can't speak, you can't talk. If you go there to Pharaoh, they're going to laugh at you. Who sent you? If you go to the children of Israel, they're going to laugh at you and say, who do you think you are? And God had to counteract that by saying, who made your mouth? I'll give you words to say. I can take care of that situation. Then you come in the New Testament and you think about Ananias and Sapphira. And what did Peter say? Why would you let Satan put that thought in your heart, in your mind, to do this, to lie to the Holy Ghost? See, he could have done the thing the right way, but he didn't. Why? Because he listened to the enemy's thoughts. It was a fiery missile that came his way that controlled his thinking. And as a result, it controlled his actions. And because he did what he did, he fell under the judgment of God and he died. In spiritual warfare, whoever controls the mind controls the life. Remember Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, what it says? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. So it's important we understand that this spiritual warfare that we're talking about is not us leaving this realm and going up somewhere like some do in airplanes in the heavenlies and try to do battle up there with some unseen spiritual forces. It's between the ears. That's where the battle takes place. It's the battle of the mind and for the mind. The enemy wants control. Well, as a result of knowing this, it's up to us as believers to take responsibility to guard the mind from these lies and deceptive thoughts that the enemy throws our way. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to keep it out? We are to be the ones that, to be the keeper of our souls and our minds and, and reject the thoughts and guard the mind that come against it. And that's what Paul was talking about. You've got to cast down thoughts and imaginations. Really, imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. In other words, they lift them up above the knowledge of God. And bring into captivity every thought and make it what? Obedient to Christ. So it's against the revelation of God's word. Thoughts that are coming into our heads really speak out against God's word. Our feelings might agree with it. Our emotions might agree with it. Circumstances might agree with it. But it's up to us to see to it that we guard our minds. We cast down imaginations. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to the word of God. Now in the book of Galatians chapter 6. You go back to Genesis. And you can read it back in uh, Genesis 8. I believe it's 22. Where it talks about. We can do nothing about night and day. Heat and cold. Right? Not, we can't. But we can do something about seed time and harvest. We can sow the right seed into the soil of our hearts. And we can reap a harvest that will benefit us. Here, Paul says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, the same shall he also reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of his flesh reap what? Corruption. But he that sows to the spirit shall reap what? Life everlasting. So you see, the law of sowing and reaping is not a difficult law to understand. It's a very simple law. 
it, all it says is this, whatever you sow, that's what you reap. If you sow apples, you're going to reap apples, right? You can't expect to sow uh, cantaloupe and then hope for watermelon. That'd be kind of foolish. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way, right? All right, so we understand that. So we can't expect to sow to the flesh and reap spiritual things. And what he's trying to communicate to us. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap of the flesh corruption. If we sow to the spirit, we'll reap of the spirit, life everlasting or spiritual things. So sowing and reaping play a very big part of the control of our minds. And I'll show you in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. And this is from the New King James Version of the Bible. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. What do they do? Those that are under the control of the flesh are so because they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. In other words, it produces death, sowing and reaping. But to the spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, an active force of rebellion against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Notice to what length Paul went to reveal to us how this works. If we sow to the flesh by being mindful of the flesh, what are we going to reap? Death. But if we sow to the Spirit by being mindful of the things of the Spirit, we're going to reap life. Once again, it's a very simple law. The law of sowing and reaping. So it's important that we sow the seed of God's word into our hearts and minds. And hold fast to the seed of God's word so it produces a result in our lives. As a matter of fact, when Jesus taught when he was here on this earth, the sower and the seed. You could say the, so the sower and the soils. He taught the importance of us believing in the process. What's the process of sowing and reaping? You take a seed. You sow into the ground. You cover it with dirt. And then you care for it. You watch over it. You believe so much in the process, you even give it some water. Even though you see nothing. Even though you hear nothing. Even though you feel nothing. It's still in the ground. The farmer comes out the next day. And what does he do? He doesn't dig it up. He waters it again. And why is he doing that? Because he believes in the process. He's also very patient. Some others can walk around and just say, what are you looking at? What are you doing? What are you putting that water on that dirt for? Oh, I believe in the process. I've got a seed in the ground. That tiny little seed can produce an oak tree that's mammoth. Think about it. Well, time is still going on. Nothing is happening instantly. But one day, all of a sudden, a little blade comes up out of the ground. And he stays with it. He continues to water it. He continues to care for it. Why? Because he believes in the process. Oh, my brother and my sister, I cannot tell us enough how important it is for us to believe in the process when we live by faith. Because we're going to be challenged in our minds and our thinking and we can get to a place that we uproot the seed or uproot the plant because we're maybe frustrated because we don't see the results so quickly, as quickly as we want to see those results. We sow the seed of the word of God into the soil of our hearts. And he talked about four different soils. If the soil is, soil is hard, the devil will come immediately and scarf it up and it's gone. Won't produce anything. And remember the seed's incorruptible. It will always produce a result. The person who believes in the process will continue doing what is necessary to care for the seed until it produces a result and won't give up along the way. But then the next condition of the, of the soil, what did he say? It's shallow. That means they have a limited understanding of the process and how it works. And they'll start doing it for a short period of time, but then they might stop watering it after a while. And then with this, because there's no depth, it's shallow. The scorching sun of temptation or affliction and etc. Burns it up. 
it doesn't produce any fruit. Then the third one, and this is probably where we all are guilty, is what? Well, I've been speaking the word of God over my situation for, for some time now. I don't see any results. You know, well, he said, the cares of this world, the deceitful of riches, and the lust for other things, enter in and choke the word out. We get so busy with other things that we're preoccupied with other things that we don't provide the nutrition that is necessary for that plant to produce a result. So, what happens? It doesn't work. There's no fruit. But the fourth soil was a good condition of the heart. He hears the word. He understands the word. He receives the word. He protects the word in the heart with diligence and patience. And then eventually it produces the fruit. See, he believes in the process. And the farmer will continue doing what is necessary even though he or she does not see a result or the fruit maybe for two months. Because that's during the planting, during the growing season. But he believes in the process so much that he will continue to weed the garden, provide the water, thank God for the sunshine, etc., etc., because he or she believes in the process. When it comes to sowing the seed of God's word into our lives, thank God initially we could have some instantaneous things going on, but for the most part it's not going to be that way. Remember what Jesus said about this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? This is a parable of the operation of the kingdom of God in the life of a person. And if you don't understand this one, and you're supposed to seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, then how can you understand all parables? We need to understand that it takes receiving the word, understanding the word and its operation, protecting the word, keeping it in the heart, like in the soil, of our heart, watering it with thanksgiving, knowing that and believing that this process works, it has to work, it will eventually produce a result. It'll take time in some occasions. Thank God for the instant ones and rejoice in that. But God wants us to grow in our faith and not give up. And so we're supposed to continue holding fast our confession of faith. Now, God made us in such a way so that our thoughts start and then our actions follow. We think it first and then our actions are, they follow, they're forthcoming. I want you to look in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Before we came to Jesus, believe it or not, our minds, our thoughts were held captive by the enemy. You could say that... Uh, our mind was the enemy held territory. He occupied a place within our thinking that we didn't even know about. We were blind, but now we see. But look at what the scripture says. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Among all whom we all, all had our conversation or lifestyle, uh, passions and living in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the what and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind this is from the English standard version of the Bible we were all children of wrath we all lived out the passions of our flesh and of our mind it starts with the mind it manifests in the flesh and action uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. We were alienated from the life of God in our minds. Look at what it says. This is also from the English Standard Version. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is talking about before we came to Christ, our mind was enemy-held territory. He was the one that was controlling the life that we lived, and we didn't even know it. Young people that are growing up are doing things 
unimaginable. And they don't realize they're being prompted by the enemy who has a stronghold, a spiritual fortified place within their thinking, within their minds. And what are they doing? Yielding to those thoughts and imaginations. It starts in the way a person's think. And then after it, they think that way, then it manifests itself in the flesh. It produces a result. You know, sowing and reaping works both ways for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And those that love the darkness more than the light, they'll give heed to those seeds of darkness, plant them within our hearts and minds and carry them out. And we used to do that. A simple thing like, go take that, that pack of gum from the drugstore. And the kid might say, well, I don't want to do that. That's not good for me to do. But if they keep on hounding him and hounding him and hounding him long enough, he may react to it, start thinking about it. And then it produces a, a, an action in that person's life. How many of you ever heard the, uh, I wrote it out here for us all to look at, this statement that was uh, made by, I believe it was Stephen Co Co Covey, said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. That was his statement. I think we need to add one more to it. Sow a destiny, reap a destination. Let me say that again. Sow a destiny, reap a destination. But this is true. It starts with a thought. You sow a thought, you're going to reap an, an action. Well, if the thought comes to the mind that it's not working. You're not good enough. I can't do it. And that thought stays in the mind of a person. Your life's not worth it. It's not worth living. That thought stays in that person's mind. And if they don't nip it in the bud, I guarantee you the enemy has a lot of emissaries that will water that seed of his word into people's hearts and people's minds until they take their own lives. When he drops a thought into a young person's mind who for some reason is off kelter somewhere in his thinking and says, why don't you just get yourself as many guns as you possibly can and go shoot up someplace. Get all the ammunition that you need. It may not start off that he says, okay, but eventually that person thinks about that and thinks about that and thinks about that. Then obviously the enemy orchestrates some events to occur. People criticize him. People ridicule him. Maybe he's in high school. Maybe he's not popular. You know, he, maybe he's got a problem physically or mentally or emotionally. And so he's an outcast and so on. And then the enemy, what does he do? He gets a hold of that person's mind. What does he do? He sets up his spiritual uh, let's say headquarters in that person's mind and he begins to bombard that person with all kinds of thoughts and ideas until finally after watering it day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out the person carries out the action you got these suicide bombers that are out there take it to the religious realm as well they're taught they're told that if you sacrifice your personal life you're going to have a high resurrection you're going to have a, a, a wonderful afterlife, which nothing could be further from the truth. Because there's only one sacrifice that can give us the afterlife that we want, praise God, when we re leave this realm of life. And that was Jesus' sacrifice. But they are convinced that on the other side, if they sacrifice their lives, if they fly airplanes into twin towers, if they have car bombs and they blow themselves up, who else can be controlling the mind of a person like that? Only the enemy. A spiritual headquarters has been set up in that person's mind, way of thinking, and eventually that person will carry out those actions. You can see it happening in families with people as well. You can see it in marriages when people entertain thoughts that are destructive to a marital relationship. Not knowing it, the enemy's behind the ear, pointing out everything. That the person, the other person, whether it's him or her, does that's wrong. And blinds them from the things that they do that are good and that are right. And before you know it, they listen and listen and listen. And before you know it, there's an action. You should go this. You should go do that or whatever. Have an affair. 
They don't care about you, and et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? People yield to it. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27. When we talk about coming up with a game plan so we can stand against the onslaught of the enemy, it could be your individual life, it could be your marriage with your children, it could be in your church, it could be our church right here. It could be in your nation as well. Look at what this says. Neither give place to the devil. Place meaning territory or ground or an entry point or an opportunity. It starts right here. Do not give the enemy an opportunity. Don't give the enemy an open door. Because I guarantee you if you open up the door to the enemy, he will enter in and make it more difficult for you to close that door. Don't we try to tell our young people, I've been down that path before. I've been down that road before. I know all the pitfalls. I know all the, the areas uh, that I, I've got to either get hurt, hurdle over. Obstacles that are standing between me and victory. I've been down that road. I'm trying to tell you about that destructive path. You've got to listen to what I'm saying. But there's a gap between where we're at and where they're at. And you know, children know more than parents right? So they think. And even though we've had firsthand experience, they want to experience for themselves, I guess. I've always said you can go through the school of hard knocks if you want to, or you can just get an education. We can go to the Bible and find out what the Word of God says about every aspect of life, and guess what? It's a good education. We can avoid the pitfalls, the destructive things along the way. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Satan has many tools that he uses to infiltrate the mind of an individual. Doesn't matter how young you are. He doesn't stop. His antics, his tactics are always the same. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds. He uses the darkness of a lack of knowledge. He blinds the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. People that are in the world today are blinded by the darkness. They can't see beyond the natural world that they live in. They have no revelation or understanding of the warfare that they're engaged in. And so all they do is they live like Paul said, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because this is all that there is. And when we die, that's the end of it all. So I want to see to it that I enjoy everything I possibly can in this life before I'm gone. Well, that's a lie, and people are blinded by the darkness. And didn't Jesus say people love the darkness more than the light? Sure do. Do you remember, do you ever hear about the um, arrangement that Larry King made with Chuck Colson? Do you know who Larry King and Chuck Colson are? Well, Larry King invited Chuck Colson out for dinner. And Chuck said, okay. This is before he, obviously before he passed away. He said, um... I want to give you two hours to convince me that Jesus is Savior, Lord, and King. Two hours, Larry King said to Chuck. Chuck said, okay, let's do it. So for two hours, he sat down with him and shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ and showed him that Jesus is Savior, Lord, and King. And after two hours, Larry King said, I'm not convinced. And he said, Mr. King... It's not that you're not convinced. You don't want to be convinced. And Larry King said, you're absolutely right. I don't. See, there's a stronghold in a person's mind. Isn't this sad? There are signposts on the road to destruction. Get off the road. And if you can understand this, along the path of a person's life, those signposts are going up. God's sending people across these people's lives to share with them the truth and give them the revelation that they're on a destructive path, but they can't see it. They're blinded by the darkness. The God of this world blinds their minds. They can't see it. Young people can't see beyond what their physical needs are, their emotional needs are at an early stage in life. And as parents, we try to tell them, we try to give them some light, some understanding. Don't get discouraged. Sow the seed of the Word of God in their hearts. And we're told when they get old, it's still going to be there, praise God. It'll produce a result. It will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose that He sent it. There's a veil. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 uh, and 15. 
But their minds were blinded for unto this day there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. Notice that. But even unto this day when Moses is read the veil is upon their heart. Isn't that something? The enemy will use blindness, a veil, whatever it is so that people can't see. Blinders. Look at the chapter 11 of the same text, a same a verse. I'm sorry, a chapter, same book. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your what? Notice the reference always to the mind. Your mind should be what? Corrupted, should be decayed, contaminated, if infected. That's what that word means. From what? The simplicity that is in Christ. Contaminated. Corrupted, decayed, infected. We believe there are physical disease. We can get a physical infection. But you know that there is also an infection of the mind where a person is infected in their mind and they believe wrong, their thinking is wrong. People perish for the lack of knowledge. Now, not only does he use these things, but look at the four M's I have listed here for you. He used magazines, music, media, and movies. To get into a young person's mind or anyone's mind. Why? To set up his spiritual headquarters. To reign in the mind of an individual. To control him like a puppet on a string. To get him to do the things that he wants them to do. No matter how crazy, how far-fetched that they are. And there are those that will listen to him and they'll be, trust me, crazy as he is. But I just took one. Look at the movies. This study took place, and this was the conclusion of the study. A filmmaker study reports that 55% who make movies and television shows say they have no religion at all. 96% never or seldom attend church. 96% are pro-abortion. 93% believe homosexuality is okay. 87% believe adultery is okay. And 99% feel TV isn't critical at all of traditional values. So when you think about these are the filmmakers, they're making the movies, they're putting together the television shows. I don't know about you, but anymore, you can't turn on the TV where it doesn't promote something that just isn't right, that's against traditional values. Anybody here agree with that? And then, of course, you're the one, you're the bad one if you say something like that. They're trying to promote their agenda, but your agenda doesn't count. But if these filmmakers believe all that, what are they going to come up with? Something that's destructive to the human mind, right? We're in a warfare. We're in a battle. And the battle is for the mind. Look at Luke's gospel chapter 4. This, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy first. In 1 Timothy, what else does he use? And this one we can explore all night long. Now the Spirit speaks especially that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He will inject in people's minds doctrines that violate the very word of God itself. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, searing the conscience of a person to make them think the wrong way. You've heard it said before, not just by me, but by many others. One of the things, that's, if above all things, I would say that sends people into hell is religion. It's religion. To make people think they're okay. To give false doctrines some have told me that they were sitting in church or they've been in church for years and never heard you must be born again. I'm talking about churches, Protestant churches. They never heard you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And I find that alarming. But I know I sat in church for 24 years and never heard it said. I'll tell you what, I cringe sometimes when I think where I was at. And I really believe that because I cried out to God for mercy that 
He sent people across my path to get me saved. I was a hard catch. Even though I was asking to be saved, people came to tell me how to get saved, and I told them they were crazy. You see, we're all mixed up. Our heads are like cement, thoroughly mixed and well set. Here I am, knowing that I'm, believing that I'm lost, and I'm telling them to come and be what I am so they can make heaven. That's confusing. That's confusing to me. And I was doing it. Wow. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 4. When the devil attacked Jesus, we're talking spiritual warfare here. And the warfare is between our ears. And when Jesus heard he was the son of God by the father whose voice came out of heaven. Remember that? He was then led by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when the temptation was over, remember the three temptations came to mess up his mind, his way of thinking. If you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread. Make him think the wrong thought. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down because I can quote scripture too. Angels will bear you up in their hands unless you dash your foot against a stone to mess up his thinking. Yeah, it really does say that. You bow down and worship me, I'll give you all that you see here to mess up his mind. What did Jesus say? It is written, it is written, it is written. There are no more powerful words than those when it comes to spiritual warfare. It is is written. You talk about a fortified place in the mind of a believer. It is written. God watches over his word to make it good. It is written. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm going over. I'm not going under. Praise God. It is written. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Don't you tell me that I'm no good. Don't you tell me that I can't make it. I know I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. We're battling for the mind. We want to know the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free and makes us whole. Okay, so verse 13, look what it says. And when the devil had ended every temptation, what was he doing? Bombarding his mind with all these thoughts because that's how he operates. That's, how, that's his method of operation. He departed from him until an opportune time. Do you see what that says? He may leave you alone for a moment because you are so strong in the word. You declare it. You stood up against him with the word of God and he fled or he left like he's supposed to and has to. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But he's also watching and looking for a more opportune time for a counterattack to come back. And he did it to Jesus. If he'll do it to Jesus, he'll do it for us to us as well. So we've got to recognize how he operates, how he works, how his kingdom operates. He may leave you for a season, but he's going to come sit on your shoulder down the road somewhere to find you in a weakened condition. So if you've got victory today, rejoice, but keep on doing what you've been doing and stand firm. Here's our game plan. Look at James 1.21. I did a study years ago on this verse of scripture. Looked at some of the Greek words. This is so important. This is what the church needs above so much more other things. Once we get saved, the spirit man is reconciled to God. But the soul of man and the body of man are not dealt with at all. There's nothing more important than getting the soul, the mind, will, emotions, and intellect delivered from its corrupt reasoning faculties. Look at the verse. Wherefore lay apart. Well first of all let me before I read that. The first chapter of James. James is talking about an attitude that existed among the people. That were being scattered for persecution. And they were basically accusing God of doing all that was going on in their lives. And what James says. Don't you blame God when you're tempted, tested and tried. As if God was doing it to you. Let no man say when he's tempted, tested and tried that God's doing it. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience, and so on. But don't blame God for it. He said, every man is tempted and tested and tried when he's enticed and drawn away of his own lust. And lust, when it's conceived, what's going to bring, and brings forth, what's going to do? It's going to bring forth death. He said, don't be an heir. Don't be misled. Don't be an heir, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variables, neither shadow of turning. He makes it very clear. This is the only way to think. Don't you think God is your problem? Don't you think that God sets you up to have all these situations take place in your life? Don't you think, yeah, persecution will come, affliction will come, but the Lord will deliver you out of them all. That's the way we're to think. So he tells them, don't think that way. So lay apart all filthiness, 
That's a wrong way of thinking. And superfluity or overflowing of naughtiness. Sometimes I want to say to people when they say, well, God did this. I say, you've got a naughty mind. You've got a naughty mind. God calls that a naughty mind. God's not your problem. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save. That word save there in the Greek means deliver you from. Save, deliver you from your souls, your corrupt reasoning faculties, one said. So receive the word that will deliver you from your, your corrupt way of thinking. That way of thinking is corrupt when we think that God is the one that's behind it all. That God's the one that he has me to go through all this stuff. Don't buy it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's not setting you up with temptations and trials and tribulations. And I'll tell you why. you got enough with the devil, the world, and the flesh. You don't need him coming against you. You still out there? You're going home. Right? All right. So let's get through this real quick. Number one, recognize the enemy. There were those that were in Vietnam, the Vietnam War. And one individual was asked, what was one of the most difficult things you faced in the Vietnam War? And that person said, recognizing the enemy. Because the North and South Vietnamese, they looked alike, talked alike, dressed alike. And it was difficult to recognize which one was the enemy. You can understand that. And so we wanted to obviously be safe. We didn't want to obviously engage the wrong person, kill the wrong person. And so it was very difficult. Well, you know what? Christians need to recognize the enemy. God is not the enemy. People are not the enemy. We battle not against flesh and blood. That's not who we war against. But against principalities, powers, the rules of darkness, this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are the things. Those are the ones that we engage in warfare. So we need to recognize where the enemy is coming from. Recognize the thoughts he's injecting to our minds. When he tells you there's a delay in you receiving your miracle, there's something wrong with you. That's just a ploy. This is to get you to uproot that plant. Get rid of it. We need to stay fast. Hold firm onto what we believe. Water it with thanksgiving and let that devil know I believe in the process. I'm not concerned about the end result because I know that takes care of itself. You plant the seed. You watch it grow. You water it. You weed around the seed so nothing chokes it out. There's a sunshine that's out there and the sunlight that's out there that gives it all the nourishment that it needs. And I guarantee you in September, you're going to have some, even, even late August, some beautiful tomatoes on your vine. Am I right? Absolutely. Why? Because the fruit takes care of itself if we take care of the root. And that's the same thing in our lives. Enemy will come along and try to inject thoughts. Your face not working. Why? Because I saw the look you gave your wife yesterday. She didn't see it. He'll just try to get you, get under your skin to make you think because you're not good enough. You're not sanctified enough. You're not set apart enough. He's a liar and the father of all liars. So you know what we're supposed to do? My seed's in the ground and it's working and you know it. And that's why you're troubling me right now because you know it's going to produce a fruit. So get behind me. That fruit will take care of itself. This one minister was dealing with Parkinson's disease. And it was, I think, seven years, seven years as it began to progress in the very beginning, it was affected him and his ministry and everything, his speech and all that, and, and even his ability to, to, to minister. He said, I did exactly what the word said. I said the word day and night, day and night. Remember Jesus said the kingdom of God operates like this as a man would sow seed into the ground and then he would sleep and rise day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. But eventually it'll produce a fruit. Doesn't know how it happens. Can you explain this to me? How one little seed can cause an oak tree to be so huge you can build a house from one tree. How does that happen? That little bitty thing, put it in the ground, put some water on it. 
Then know how. You know what he's saying to us? Put the seed of my word in your heart and water it every day. It's working. It's working. Oh, I thank you that I got my, it's working in my heart. It's working. I thank you. I praise you. I understand the process. I understand the process. I'm just going to praise you. I'm just going to worship you. I'm thanking you. You heard me. I had the petition I desired of you. It's working. It's working. Thank you, Lord. Every single day, I'm just going to thank you. That's settled. Praise God. I received my healing. I received my deliverance. I received my financial need met. I received restoration to my marriage. I received whatever it is. Thank you, Lord. 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 The devil comes along and just says, huh, not working, is it? Oh, it's working. You don't see anything, do you? I said, I know the process. I know the farming process. I sowed the seed of the word of God in my heart, and I know it's working. It's incorruptible seed. The only way that things wouldn't work is if I, the soul of my heart, aborts the project. So it has to work. It must work. Recognize the enemy's coming to undermine. Number two. I said quick, didn't I? Prepare the mind for action. Prepare the mind for action. Look at 1 Peter 1.13. ESV. English Standard Version. Therefore preparing your minds for action. When the, the devil comes against our minds and wants to get us down, depressed and frustrated and think all these crazy things. People are thinking about us, saying about us, talking about us and whatever. Prepare the mind for action. What does prepare mean? It's the process or the action by which we get ready for a test, a duty or an occasion. That's what it means. It is a process, that's, it's a process by which we get ready. The moment you sow the seed into the ground or the soil of your heart, Get ready, prepare your mind to make a right decision, a right choice, a right action. And be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, hold fast our confession of faith, declare what the Word of God says, and don't be caught up with a timetable. Just continue saying, I know the process works, I thank God for the process. This person did this day in and day out, and day in and day out, it took seven years and I don't know if he's completely delivered, set free, and made whole. But he went from to where it was uncontrollable to where he is as strong as he was before it ever hit him. So if Parkinson's can be overcome that way, he tried medication at first, but you know what? It didn't do him any good. No one's opposed to medication, but it didn't do him any good. He said, I just held fast to what the Word says. I just held fast to what the Word says day in and day out, day in and day out. Now, some, someone might say, well, why seven years? We can't answer that question. We don't know. But you know what? He believed in the process. Believe in the process. Stay with it. It will produce results. Look at uh, the next one. Renew the mind. Romans 12, 2 and Acts 17, 11. Look at these two verses real quick. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Notice the renewing of the mind. Tony Cook always says, not the removing of your mind but the renewing of your mind. Don't have your mind re removed. Have it renewed. It takes a renewing of the mind. Look at Acts chapter 17 verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that these are the Bereans he's talking about in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Is it really so that by his stripes he were healed? Is it really so he bare our sickness and carried our pain? Is it really so? Is it really true? All these things, are they true? Yes. Then we got to get to the place that we say, I embrace that truth. I hold fast to that truth. I'm not letting go of that truth. I'm going to say it day and night, day and night, no matter how I feel, no matter what it looks like, because I believe in the process. The process works. And I know it's hard when you're physically challenged with something. Look at the next one. Change the way we think. A wonderful favorite scripture of mine. This is uh, Ephesians 4.23 from the Living Bible. Now your thoughts and attitudes must all be constantly changing for the better. Think about that. Are our thoughts and attitudes constantly changing for the better? We've got to change the way we think. God doesn't have to change. Look at number five. Practice. I like this one. Thought replacement. Practice thought replacement. Jesus did this with the devil. The devil injected a thought. He replaced it with the thought from the word of God. Didn't he? Thought replacement. Look at Isaiah 55 verse 8. What it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Saith the Lord. So you think he, we should get him to think the way we do? Should we get God to think the way we think? No. 
we need to start thinking the way he thinks because his thoughts are higher than ours. We thought, had thought replacement. You're afraid. No, God's not giving me the spirit of fear, but a power level of a sound mind. You're weak. Let the weak say I am strong. Look at Philippians 4, thought replacement, verses 7 and 8. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, and of a good report, if there's any virtue of praise, think on these things. In other words, do something with the mind. Prepare the mind to make right choices and decisions. As Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare them for the right action. Okay, and then number six, keep the mind stayed on God. I'm sure you know this verse, Isaiah 26, 3. He'll keep you in perfect peace. When? When your mind is stayed on him. The devil wants to distract our thinking to get us off of him and on self, circumstances, or conditions around us. And seven and here it is. We'll conclude with this. 2 Corinthians 10. Let's read them again. This is our opening text. For though we walk in the flesh, our warfare is not after the flesh. We don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And where's the stronghold? In the mind. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I'd have to have the knowledge of God first. And bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So if we can see what he's talking about, my goodness, every thought that comes into our minds. You imagine how many thoughts come into our minds every single day of our lives? This is called a disciplined walk of faith. So when a thought comes in my mind, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What am I supposed to do? Cast it down. Demolish it. State in the name above every name. By the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. I cast down that thought. That imagination. Because if it's a thought. It will produce an image. And then a stronghold. It starts with a thought. It produces an image. Your imagination. And then a stronghold. And the devil has built up his in your mind, in my mind, his spiritual headquarters. And he's going to just live right there. There are those that said it this way. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. Right? So get rid of it. Let's all stand together before the Lord.